Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Today we're beginning a fresh focus in the house, a, a focus that I wanted to call Canvas, about the things that God is calling us to create and cultivate as His people. It's a, it's a picture that really empowers and encourages me because I believe with all my heart that every single person standing before God is a blank canvas. A blank canvas where He, as the ultimate artist, is looking to create and shape in and out of us everything that He's created us for. That I, I believe with all my heart that the opportunity to follow Jesus is not just an opportunity to attend a church, not just an opportunity to go through rituals and practices, but it's an invitation for complete life transformation. That as we follow Jesus, we actually become more like the people God created us to be. I, I think the only way to really know yourself is to know Jesus. I, I know that goes against memes and things that are easy to share on Instagram, but I do believe with all my heart that the only way to truly know ourselves is to know the one who created us and formed us in the first place. That, that anything that I seek to add on top of that, anything that I, I seek to create my own identity out of, just pales in insignificance to who He has called us to be in Him. You are a blank canvas. And I know like me, there's a lot of things that might seek to stick on your life. A lot of unintended paint strokes and things that would stick and seek to make the picture something that it's not meant to be. But the good news about following Jesus is that He cleanses us and He makes us clean, makes us white and He prepares us to go again. As a church, as we continue to journey together, I wanna to invite us on this idea of what it means to be a canvas to allow God to create and cultivate out of us what we are called to be. You know, it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He prepared for us long ago. I want you to note there that we're not saved so out of the things that we do or because of the things that we do. We're saved simply because God loves us. That here's the wonderful truth of the Gospel of Jesus, that you deserve the love of God, not because of what you do or how good you are, but simply because He wants to give it. Simply because He wants to give it means that you deserve it. Because He's a good God and He desires you to know Him. But in knowing Him, it changes the way that we live, the way that we operate, the way that we act, because there are things that God has created us to do things that nobody else can do. You are a living, breathing masterpiece. You are a piece, a reflection of God's desire to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as He works in and through you. You are one of a kind, unreplaceable. You know, my wife was really jazzed during the week because she's taken me on a date sometime in the next few days where we notice that here in the city, uh, they're doing a Van Gogh uh, exhibit. Now, I don't know anything about art. And I was talking to Leon, our resident uh, church member up the back. He's on service team today, lived in Rotterdam, helping me pronounce Van Gogh, who is a Dutch 
artists uh, from around the 1800s, I believe. I, I believe the way you're meant to pronounce his name is not Van Gogh, it's Van Gogh. Is that true? No, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> I barely speak English, people. I do not speak Dutch. But I'm excited to go because I remember when Rhiannon and I began our missionary journeys and we were on our way to Kenya. We stopped off in Amsterdam many years ago just to have a quick visit and we went to the Van Gogh Museum. And I don't know if you know any of Van Gogh's stuff. And look, I don't want to stand up in front of you and appear like I'm an art critic or anything like that. I absolutely have no idea. But I really like this guy's stuff. He's done artworks called The Starry Night and he's very creative and very emotive. And so when we were in Amsterdam, there were a few things that we wanted to do. There were a few areas we made sure to avoid. And I remember we went to the Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, come on, anybody who knows Amsterdam knows what I'm talking about. You turn the wrong corner there and you, whew, you backpedal quick. But anyway, we went to the Van Gogh Museum and uh, there was this big lineup to see one of his most famous works called Self-Portrait with a Straw Hat. What a wonderful way to name a painting. Self-Portrait with a Straw Hat. We should name our messages a little bit more like that. We stood with a line. It took us about 45 minutes to get to the front of this line just to see this painting. Though it was, in my memory, about 30 centimetres long. Tiny. I had no idea. I'd only ever seen this painting as I scrolled on the internet, self-portrait with a straw hat. I thought this thing must have been massive. No, it's tiny. I think 30 by 40 centimetres. So we finally got up the front. We're peeking at it, leaning forward over the lines that are trying to hold us back. And I've got lines of people behind me. And you're pressured not to spend too long there. I mean, you've been waiting for 45 minutes and you maybe get a 37-second look at this thing before you buzz on. But what was amazing and what caught me was the idea that this is one of a kind. What makes this so significant is that there aren't any other paintings like this. That when Van Gogh made it, Only he made it and only he made one. It's the original NFT, the original one of a kind. And the mere fact that you're standing there in person seeing something that is one of a kind sort of gives a little bit of reverence to the moment. Somebody made this. 30 seconds, we're on. And I was thinking about how this artwork was made. It was basically started out life as a blank canvas. And then he puts on colour and he builds it. And I don't understand paintings all that well, but I know that you don't just simply get there and do a stick figure self-portrait and say you're done. That it takes time to build the painting out. That painters, artists, from what I understand, work from the background forward. That they get the behind of the image set and then they build it out layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. I think that's how God works with us. That you and I as God's masterpiece, that He builds or desires to build us out layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. But the cool thing about us and God is that God is not simply there passively controlling this work of art. He's actually working with us. 
that you actually get to participate in what God wants to do in your life. It's the most amazing thing possible that not only does God want to work in you and through you, but He wants to work with you. Do you know that you get to play a part in the masterpiece that God wants to create in and out of your life? There's a person in Scripture who sticks out to me for this moment, a man who was originally known as Simon. He's a fisherman. He was one of the people that Jesus recruited to follow him. He's a man that as he met Jesus, his life was about winding up nets and casting off from the shore and rowing boats and spending all night fishing, desperately hoping to catch enough, not just to feed themselves, but to provide for themselves. Calloused hands, somebody who had to work with everything they had. In the culture of Jesus' day, for somebody to be stuck in that line of work meant one really significant thing, that they had not been good enough to be chosen by a teacher to follow them. See, in the culture of Jesus' day, they often called Jesus this term that we don't often use today, rabbi. Rabbi simply means teacher. And what would happen is, as a young man grew up, they would study the Scriptures and study them by rote so that they could memorise whole portions of the Bible. And then at a certain age, different rabbis would travel into their village and test these students to see how good their memory was, to see how articulate their thoughts were, to see how smart they were. And the best of the best, the rabbis would say, come follow me. And that was a loaded statement because when a rabbi said that to you, it meant come and be just like me. Rabbis were the original superheroes. Everybody wanted to be like a rabbi as they travelled from village to village and helped people understand the goodness of God. But for whatever reason, Peter had not been chosen. And so he'd gone into a trade as a fisherman. And Jesus met him as he's working away, as his calloused hands, and calls him and says, come, follow me. See, his name was originally Simon, later changed to Peter. Simon meant a reed, a river, weed bent by the wind. But as he follows Jesus, as he journeys on with Jesus, he has his name changed to reflect the changes that God wanted to do in and through him. His name's changed to Peter, which means rock, unshakable and firm. And it speaks to me about the process that God wants to do in every single one of us. That it's so easy to live our lives like a reed bent in the wind, something that's bowed down to the pressures and circumstances that we all face. We all face them. But through the work that God wants to do in and through us, He wants to make us unshakable and immovable. People who face crisis and are not taken out, but press in and take hold of the promises of God. And His man, Simon, who became Peter, did not live up all the time to the promise that he had. He's the one that when Jesus was captured and being tortured as He's been prepared to be crucified, Peter's the one who cut and run at Jesus' most desperate moment. He's the one who had three opportunities to say publicly that he was standing with Jesus no matter what and three times denied the fact. And it's interesting that this man who had followed Jesus for three years, who had given up working with his hands to walk with the Creator of all things, then left that meeting and ran back to his old life. He went straight back to fishing. 
And what I love about the story of Peter is it doesn't stop there. I mean, if it was the story of somebody involved in my life, it'd be so easy to let them be. But we know that when Jesus paid the ultimate price, died on the cross and rose again, He went and found Peter at the shore, cooked him breakfast and invited him to come eat with him. And for each time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus restored him. One, two, three. Peter's a picture of the masterpiece that God wants to do in and through our lives. God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for willingness. He's not looking for an instant fix. He's looking for the journey of change. And He invites us to press into the promises that He has available. So I love Peter because of the picture he gives us about the masterpiece that God wants to do in and through our lives. And there's a section of the Bible where Peter wrote two small books, one Peter and two Peter, that's so creative in naming the books of the Bible. One Peter means that's the first letter that he wrote. Two Peter means it's the second letter. And in two Peter, he unpacks what I think is a snapshot of what it means to live the type of life where God does a deep work in us. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 11, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. You know, I feel here Peter unpacks some of the thoughts of what it means to allow God to do a deep work in us. And I I need to start there. We need to be willing to allow God to do the deep work. That God's looking for partnership as we live out our life with Him. That as Jesus approached Peter when he was known as Simon, the reed bent by the wind, He invites him to come follow me. He says, come follow me. The choice, the invitation Jesus always gives an invitation, but the choice is ours to choose to follow. And in that, Simon, who became Peter, had to lay aside the things that he'd used to try to build his own identity. I am a fisherman. All I do is fish. And if I leave this behind, I can't be anything else. No, you can be a follower of Jesus. And you can allow Him to change you and transform you along the way. You're not a failure. You're not mistake. You're not forgotten. You're not neglected. You're called and chosen. And you get to choose to be chosen in the Kingdom of God with the way that we respond. 
And so in this portion of Scripture, this person who was a reed bent by the wind, was somebody who was bound by circumstances out of their control, who rose above it because they encountered the love of God, lays out what I feel are some of the challenges for us today. In verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge. Can you say knowledge? of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. I gotta say it begins with a knowledge of Jesus, but not just knowledge to know about, but the type of knowledge that allows you to do. See here in the Scriptures, knowledge is not something simply for the head. It's not about having an encyclopedia on demand in our brain. It's about knowing how to live and allowing that to influence what we actually do. To know Jesus means to allow Him to change the way that we respond to the world around us. You know, a few days ago, Rhiannon showed me some of Liam's homework. And I gotta say, I'm one of those parents that needs the grace to be able to help my children with homework. I'm very good at wrestling. I'm very good at tickling. I'm great at taking the kids to the park, to the beach. Homework, if you wanna pray for me as a father, Pray for that area. Because I don't know about you that when I'm in the car driving home from the office, there's not much that excites me less than the idea that I'm going to get home, walk in the door and help my kids with homework. Now, I know I need to fix that. They deserve to have me sit down and help them. Often it falls to Rhiannon, who's very good at it. Thank you, darling. But she showed me some of Liam's work. Seems out that day he'd been in class and he's in a different maths level to what he was last year. He's down a level instead of up a level, which is fine. But he was given a problem to solve that wasn't his to solve. It was for the higher class. And he just sat there of his own accord and worked it out. Worked it out. He filled up, scribbled this whole section of pages. He worked out this equation and he got it right. Now I'm terrible at maths. So Rhiannon shows me this piece of document and shows it up and it looks like Dutch to me. I have no idea. But it made sense to him because he knew it, but he knew it enough to do it. That's how it's meant to be with Jesus. That it's not just something that we know in our heads, it's something that we know by what we do. Do you know in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. That idea of a new creation is metamorphosis. Where we get that word from, the, the transformation that almost happens from the inside out, changing something from one thing to something entirely different. Do you know that the moment you begin to know Jesus, meaning that you begin to journey with Him, that you begin to allow Him to change you along the way, you actually become something completely different to what you were before. That Peter was Simon, a reed bent by the wind, somebody who was at the mercy of the surroundings around them and became a rock, somebody who was unmovable because of their faith in Jesus by what He did in and through Him. You and I are called to allow Jesus to change us simply by knowing Him. And it's as we choose to be obedient, as we choose to allow Him to work through us, as we choose to do the little things that He's called us to, the messages that just jump on our heart. I should text this person. I should encourage this person. 
the kindness that we show in a world where we're challenged to cancel people left, right and centre. See, the journey of following Jesus is a very different life to what's around us, but it is the best. So for us to be a blank canvas that God works with, we have to begin at the baseline to know Jesus and follow Him. Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 4 and says, By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Church, we're called to pursue the promises of God. With everything we have, we are called to pursue the promises of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 36, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which will be greatly rewarded. For you need patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. You know, there's over 7,000 promises recorded in the Bible towards us. But I'm mindful that while the promises are there and the Scriptures say every promise is yes and amen, it does take our part to participate. That idea of patience often means a steady endurance. It means a willingness not to let go, a willingness not to give up. Where the easy answer would be just stop and pull back. Those of the Kingdom of God press in and take hold. And people who say that we're all in and we do not hesitate. And people who say that we are willing to press in, press in for the promises, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. So the promises of God are when God works in and through our life to make everything that is the way it should be, instead of tolerating the brokenness around us. You know, we get what we tolerate or we get what we cultivate. We get what we tolerate or we get what we cultivate. And the promises of God is this idea that we can live the abundant life with Jesus. The best is available, but it does take a willingness to take ground. One of my favourite books in the Bible is the book of Joshua. It records events about 1,300 years before Jesus was born. And it's about a people who are coming out of slavery to come back into their homeland. Their homeland had been dedicated to them by God, had been given by God Himself. But over 400 years previous, their homeland had been invaded and occupied by the enemy. And these people in the book of Joshua are on the precipice of getting back into their promises. Everything belongs to them. Everything is theirs. Everything God has given them is there. But they were called to fight for it. They were called to cross over and start to take ground. They were called to live the type of life that allows the victory that Jesus purchased for us to come through even them back then. And so you and I are called to live on the precipice now that we get to create the future with God and in God and through God, that we stand on the edge of the promises He has available. And there's a people that are called to pursue them. I think one of the things that changed Peter in his journey was that he was somebody who was willing to pursue the promises of God, not just for himself, but for those around him. We're called to pursue. It says in verse 5, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, 
Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we start with faith and then the layers are built up. We start with faith and goodness is added. Goodness means in that situation, the best of any circumstance. Do you know, simply because you're present in a situation, God wants to bring His goodness through. And these things are only tested when we're under pressure. These things only come out when we have an opportunity to work it out. Peter writes here, make every effort. That these things are things that are worked out as we allow God to work in us. That for God to bring goodness into a situation, it means that we're working goodness into a situation. It means that we're presenting with Him wherever we are to not just believe for the best, but to see the best happen. That we're not accepting things at a lower level. That we're not saying that we live life based on the temperature around us, but instead we're those that set the temperature. We're those that set the atmosphere. We're those that press in with everything that we have. That we're called to be people who bring goodness, the best of any circumstance. And that shines out because we live in such a broken world. Brokenness is all around us. And if we get what we tolerate, Instead of what we cultivate, it is so easy to live at a level where we accept that as God's will. But what if He's called us as a living, breathing canvas, a masterpiece of His goodness, as a church, to see His goodness break through, to goodness as knowledge? You know, things should get deeper. God wants to expose more of His goodness to you. There is no limit in the Kingdom of God. You could follow Jesus for 70 years and still feel like you're scratching the surface. He wants to show more. He always wants to take us deeper. There is more available for you. For some of us, that means that we're willing to put ourselves in a position where more comes out of us where we allow the demand that comes on us to draw out what God's already placed. Now I'm convinced that how it works in the Kingdom of God, that as the demand comes on us, more comes out. Goodness to knowledge to self-control. Self-control, according to Thayer's Dictionary, is the virtue of one who masters their desires and their passions, who is not ruled by anything outside of themselves. How powerful it would be to be a people who are not ruled by anything outside of God's will. That as a masterpiece, as a canvas, that we choose to allow God to work in and through us because we always choose to do the things that honour Him. Goodness to knowledge, to self-control, to endurance. You know, I, I think the future belongs to the strong and courageous. I think the future belongs to those who are going to be resilient. I think the future belongs to those who aren't controlled by the narratives that would take them away from pressing in and pressing on. I think the future belongs to those who endure, to those who are willing to be steadfast no matter what, 
to those who have a bit of consistency about their walk and their life, to those who are not swerved from the left or the right, but live life with deliberate purpose. The people that inspire me the greatest are those that know how to endure well. It's not how we start that defines us, it's how we finish. Endure. God wants to add these colours to our palette. He wants to add these to the aspect of our life. Goodness, to knowledge, to self-control, to endurance, to godliness. Now I know godliness isn't a word that we often work into our conversations. And in fact, that would be very strange to do that. As we're hanging around the coffee bar, talking to Pori, how's the godliness going, mate? But godliness simply means living life with a deep-seated respect and honour for what God has called us into. Godliness is about a lifestyle. It's about the way that we live mindful that we actually serve a God who deserves us giving everything that we have. It's a perspective of life, godliness. It's a perspective that says, if Jesus is my King, I will live as if He is. It's, it's a perspective of life that says, I don't just live by my words, I live by my actions. It's a perspective of life that says, everything that I am actually comes through the way that I live and the way that I act. That life isn't a show. It isn't a performance. It's about the reality of the love of God coming in and through us. Call it goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection. You know, this is the type of love that churches are called to exhibit. There's so many different words for love in the New Testament. This word for love here is where we get the word Philadelphia from. So it's called the city of brotherly love. It's the type of love that people share as if they are each other's brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know about the context you come out of, whether you were close to your brothers and sisters, whether that was encouraged, whether that was cultivated. But the idea in the Kingdom of God is that love would always be genuine and would always seek the best of others. And that the colours that God wants to add to our palette is one that is founded on brotherly love and affection for one another sisterly love and affection for one another. It's the type of love that builds up and doesn't tear down. It's the type of love that believes the best instead of believing the worst. It's the type of love that cuts through the things that would seek to strip us of who we really are. It's the type of love that does not tolerate and doesn't accept the idea that we are here to bring anybody down, but instead to build people up. It's the type of love that is welcoming but it's the type of love that takes multiples of people to enact. See, for it to be brotherly and sisterly love, it takes everybody taking their part seriously to actually say, as a church, we're a family of God. And that each and every opportunity we meet on our services, in our prayer meetings, in our connect groups, in our youth ministries, in our children's ministries, around the coffee bar, when we bump into each other at the shops, that we look for opportunities to share the type of love that says we are part of the family of God together. That your success is my success. That I can cheer you on 
and enjoy the process of God in and through your story as well. It's the type of love that is not jealous, it is not envious, it does not boast, it does not try to strip people of anything. It instead tries to empower. We're called to be a people who make every effort for goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection. And finally, love. This is the type of love in the Scripture that's talked about, the type of love that God has for us together. It's the type of love that's unconditional, sacrificial, genuine and real. The type of love that breaks through. This is the type of love that keeps no record of wrongs. This is the type of love that our world desperately needs and is the most vibrant colour that I believe God wants to add to our lives. If we're a blank canvas and these are the things that God wants to bring out, imagine who we become as we allow Him to do it. Finally, in verse 9, this man who became a masterpiece of God, the man who was a reed bent by the wind, who became a rock, that helped build the early church. Peter writes this, The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. And verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. You know, I was thinking, why? We stumble sometimes. First thing that came to my mind are the three motorcycle accidents I had while living in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Never had an accident in Australia, but I had three in Cambodia. I don't know if you've ever seen images on TV of some of the streets in Phnom Penh or Ho Chi Minh City or that part of the world where you've got literally thousands of little motorcycles zipping through and there doesn't seem to be any road rules to follow. That was my norm for seven years as I buzzed around on a motorcycle, responding to the traffic in front of me, hopeful that people would do the same behind me. I never once had an accident in those moments. But when I would stumble and fall was when I wasn't aware of two things. I wasn't aware of the road in front of me and I wasn't focused enough to see what was ahead. I remember one time I was buzzing along river paddies as we're heading towards the jungle region. And I go over a hill flying. And as I crest the hill, I notice in front of me is a giant crater. And my brain worked ahead of my body. And I could see myself flying off the handlebars, 10 feet and landing on my back. Everything slowed down. As I hit that crater, probably going about 60 kilometres an hour. And thankfully, I wasn't thrown ahead. Instead, I landed in a way where the bike landed on me and stopped me from being thrown ahead. As I'm laying there, I was mindful. I failed. The two things that my motorcycle instructors would tell me, always be mindful of the road ahead of you. And you go where your eyes lead you and the focus takes you. You know, to never stumble in life means that we're mindful of the road that we're on. We're mindful of the surroundings around us. But ultimately, we go where our focus is. We go where our focus is. As we choose to be a people that know Jesus, 
as we choose to be a people who allow Him to change us, as we choose to be a people that allow Him to do the deep work in us and out of us. We become people who never stumble. You don't have to stumble. The promise here is you do not have to stumble. If you do these things, you will never stumble. So writes the man who denied Jesus three times, who failed and had Jesus reinstate him. He learned something about what it means to live as a masterpiece of God, to allow God to do the work in him. Last verse, verse 11. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, be richly provided for you. Church, as we continue to take ground together, we take ground because of what Jesus has provided for us. And maybe some of us need a fresh reminder of that today. That ultimately begins in what Jesus has purchased with His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. That He is calling us by His Spirit to live up to the calling that He has for us as a people. And so I'd ask as we prepare to enter in, the things that God wants to unpack through the journey, take hold of everything He's made available for you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.